I want to welcome all of you guys. I'm so glad you're here. And uh, we got several visitors today. And so just so you know, and I, I hope this message will really drive home this point, but no matter where you are in your life or in your faith journey, you are welcome here just the way you are. Doesn't matter what anybody says or thinks about you. Doesn't matter where you are, where you're from, where you've been, what you've done. You're welcome here. And so we're glad that you're here. Uh, I want to talk to you today about God's heart for the lost. And this is going to start a new sermon series, probably five weeks. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And this is going to be our theme, God's heart for the lost. So if you, if you brought your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. You do get extra credit points in heaven when you bring your Bible to church. So I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, the reason I, I, I've been compelled to uh, talk about this is because we live in a world, and I'm sure I'm the only one that ever struggles with this, but we live in a world that's full of knuckleheads and um, idiots and nincompoops and people that just really get on my nerves. And there, there's part of me that with some of these people, because I have to deal with them like in this community and... Uh, I, on social media and just in the world, and in my in my mind, they're messing everything up for the rest of us. And so sometimes I would like to take these people. Okay, am I the only one that struggles with this? I don't know where they came from, but I would rather they just go back to wherever it is, and I, it wouldn't bother me that much if they disappeared. Okay. I'm just being honest, and this is just the preacher talking. I'm sure I'm the only sinner in this whole place that has a hard heart. I'm the only one, right? Nobody ever else feels this way. So I think it's important every now and again for us to kind of come back to one of the most basic truths of the gospel and be reminded of the Father's heart for the lost. Because we got to recalibrate sometimes in this crazy world we live in, surrounded by all these knuckleheads, and sometimes I'm one of them, and we got to recalibrate, match our heart to his heart, and, and hopefully image Christ in our world uh, and be a light in the darkness. So that's, that's what we're attempting to do, and, and my prayer is that the Lord will break us where we need to be broken, that he'll make us and he'll mold us into exactly the instrument he wants us to be, and I pray that he starts with me. Okay, so let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's word, Luke chapter 15. I'll begin reading in verse 1. All the tax, collector, tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. And when he found it, he joyfully put it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you that you're patient and kind and merciful with a knucklehead like me. And Lord, I pray uh, that you'll use me today. I pray that my words uh, will just disappear, that I will become less and less, and so that people can see you clearly. 
and hear your words. I pray a blessing on all my friends that have gathered here today and everybody that's watching online. And uh, we've all come here, Lord, with a humble heart, and we acknowledge that without you, we are lost, and there's not much hope for us. And so we really need you. And Lord, we're asking that you'll show up in a way that's unmistakable, and you'll speak to us in a way that's very clear. And you'll help us, Lord, to walk in your ways to the glory of your name. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, I'd encourage you to just take a moment and pray for the people around you. A lot of people hurting in this room, a lot of people hurting online. And so I'd ask that you just pray for them. Lift up their needs, the ones you know about and the ones you don't. Take a moment and pray for our crazy city and county and state and country and world that we live in. That the Lord will make sense of it all. And pray for any lost and wayward people that you know in your life. Finally, take a moment and just pray for yourself. You can pray a prayer, something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Luke 15, verse 1. All, now that could mean like literally all of them in this area, or it could just mean all types. Either way, there was a bunch. All of the tax collectors and sinners. So there's two groups there. Uh, And they're both equally bad in the eyes of the audience that Luke is writing to. So the tax collectors, uh, they were traders and sellouts and bootlickers. And what they did is they partnered with the evil Roman Empire who was oppressing the Jewish people. And so these Jewish tax collectors, these uh, Israelite people, they went to the the Romans and they said, hey, we'll help you uh, if you'll give us a cut. And so they went around to all their neighbors, and they started overtaxing them, extorting them, and all the money they could get out of them that was over what the Romans wanted, they kept. And so you could imagine, none of us like the IRS. If the tax man comes to your house, you're probably not going to be too, too friendly with them. You're not going to be excited about it. They really hated the tax man. Really, really. They were traitorous uh, people. And then you also have sinners, okay? Now, we all acknowledge that we're all sinners. Nobody's perfect in this room. Nobody walks on water. Nobody's Jesus. But you got to be really, really, really bad in order for your whole community to call you a sinner. I mean, we're talking about bad, bad. We're talking about criminals. We're talking about felons. We're talking about, uh, you know, degenerates. We're talking about the absolute worst of the worst that you can imagine. And they, we got the sellouts and the hell raisers. And they're all approaching Jesus. They're all drawn near to Jesus because they want to hear what he has to say. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. So we also have two other groups. Now, these these people are on the other end of the spectrum. So you got the sinners and the tax collectors, and they're there at the bottom of Jewish society. Uh, They're kind of the outcasts. Nobody has much to do with them. And so they hang out together because they can't find any other friends. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the scribes, and the Pharisees. This is the high-class people. These are the people that got it all together. The scribes are uh, uh, Jewish lawyers. They're experts in the law. 
uh, wealthy, highly respected, well-educated people. And then you had the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were kind of like a religious slash political movement in Jesus' day. And to be honest with you, most of us in this room would more closely relate with the Pharisees and the scribes than we would with the sinners and the tax collectors, okay? Most of us would be much more likely to have a Pharisee and a scribe come over to our house because we would agree with them on a lot of the values. We would agree with them on a lot of stuff politically. We would agree. Uh, I know a lot of you, okay? You probably wouldn't feel very comfortable having some of the sinners and the tax collectors in your home, okay? You would hide all your nice stuff before they came over. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so the Pharisees, uh, they were, like I said, they were kind of religious slash political movement, and I want to explain that a little bit. What they saw in their culture and in their church, they saw a liberal drift. They saw people not taking God's word and God's law very seriously, and that bothered them. Now, we all know this concept of a pendulum, okay, in society, and the pendulum is like, you know, if it, if it, if it swings one way, if it swings left, then there's also going to be an equal swing right, okay? And so that's what they saw in Jesus' day. The Pharisees saw that, that people were not taking God's law seriously, and so they said, we're going to take God's law very seriously. And we're going to take God's law, and we're going to add to it so we can separate the people who are real about the Lord and real about his kingdom from those who are fake. Now, um, they would, they would think things like, you know, people were being lax in following the Sabbath. They weren't keeping the Sabbath day holy. And they were doing things that the Pharisees didn't agree with. And uh, so the Pharisees said, okay, well, we are going to start counting our steps. Because you, you can't walk more than two-thirds of a mile. If you do, then you've broken the law. And you're, you're not keeping the Sabbath. So just to distinguish ourselves, and so everybody knows how you're really supposed to live, we're going to count every single step. And we're not going to light a candle on the Sabbath because that's, that's considered work. And we're also not even going to look in a mirror on the Sabbath because sometimes that's work, you know, when you got to look in a mirror. I, I don't understand that one, but that was one of the rules. And so, again, it was, this was just a way for them to push back on the liberal drift that they saw. <clears throat> and they, they did this, and the more they did it, the more they would look like at the people that were not keeping the law the way they were, and they were judging them. And they, they, they felt uh, hatefulness towards them. Because in their mind, they had this idea that if God's people would just follow his law closely enough for one week, that's all it was, God's people, one week, if you follow the law, then God would send his Messiah. He would deal with all God's people's problems, specifically the Romans. And then God would set up his heavenly kingdom on the earth, starting in Israel. So this was their idea. The Pharisees were convinced this was what was going to happen. And so how do you think they felt about the hellraisers and the bootlickers who are messing it up for all the honest, hardworking, good-hearted people who are doing things the right way? How do you think they felt? They didn't like them. The Pharisees had a popular saying in Jesus' day. They said, there is joy in heaven when one sinner is obliterated. This was a saying of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They hated the sinners. They hated the tax collectors. They didn't want anything to do with them. Uh, if, if, if they all died, they wouldn't miss them. Uh, they wanted them all dead. They wanted them just 
or, or move to Canada like you promised us you would, okay? That's, what they, that's how they felt about it. And so they grumbled when they see Jesus is welcoming these kinds of people with kindness. In the Pharisees' mind, Jesus should be cussing them out. He should be cursing them. He should be sending them on somewhere. Instead, Jesus welcomes them to dinner. He dines with them. Verse 3, Jesus picks up on it. He sees that the Pharisees are grumbling, and he wants to teach them a lesson. Now, how many of you know there is grace for the sinner and the tax collector? There is also grace for the Pharisee. How many of you know that? God's grace extends both ways. And so he teaches them a parable. He wants them to see the error of their ways. Now, a parable is a story with a point. Uh, the word parable, it actually means to lay alongside. And so uh, what Jesus would do, he was famous for this, he would take a story that even a kid could understand, a visualization, something that you can see, uh, something everybody can relate to, and he would connect it with the spiritual truth that people were having a hard time understanding. And so that's what Jesus does here, verse 4. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, I want you to imagine for a second that you are a shepherd. Now, the Pharisees, they would have heard that, and immediately they'd be like, ew, gross. It'd be like me saying to some of you Kentucky fans, imagine if you were a Tennessee volunteer fan, you know. And you'd be like, ew, gross. I would never wear that color orange. I would never sing that stupid song. Ugh, gross, right? Because somebody said Amen. Because the, the, the uh, shepherds were low class in Jewish society. So you had the sinners and the tax collectors, and then like a rung up from them were the shepherds, okay? And the reason is because shepherds, they earned a, a very poor reputation in the way they conducted themselves. Uh, they, they would go around lying and cheating and stealing from people. Didn't have very good reputation to the point that in Jesus' day, a shepherd couldn't testify in court. Because it was assumed everything that came out of a shepherd's mouth was a lie. And so uh, they had a very poor reputation. So Jesus says, just imagine if you're one of those guys. And so uh, imagine you're a shepherd and you lose one of your sheep. You got 100 sheep and you lose one of them. Now, how'd you lose the sheep? And, and we got some sheep people here so they can correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding are sheep are really dumb. That's my understanding. Okay. There are... I've got, I got one honest one. Okay. Sheep are really dumb, is my understanding. And so what they do is, in Jesus' day, uh, they, they, would, they would get off course. Uh, they would lose their way because they got their head down, and they're just walking from one green blade of grass to the next dandelion to the next green blade of grass, and it's easy for them to get off course and lose sight of the shepherd. And so that's, that's how they kind of get, they, they, they haphazardly move from, green pasture to green pasture, with no regard for their own life. And so you got this sheep, Jesus says, you're the shepherd, you got a sheep, not real bright, and he wanders off, but you got 99 more. And so what are you going to do? Because really, that's only 1% of your flock, right? And that sheep has always been giving you problems anyway, and so, you know, it might be better if he just goes on somewhere. And so what do you do? And Jesus says, what Man among you, one self-respecting man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them doesn't leave the 99 in the open field and go after the one, the lost one, uh, sheep. To which some of you might say, well, actually, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you jeopardize the 99 
and go in search of the one. That doesn't really add up. Mathematically, that's not very rational. We need to understand shepherding in the first century. You see, they didn't shepherd in in isolation. Uh, The shepherds partnered together. They band together, and they would tend their flocks as a group. Now, you remember the, how many of you remember watching a Charlie Brown Christmas special? Okay. In the Charlie Brown Christmas special, one of the characters who has, he's got, I don't, is it dust or flies? What's flying over his head? Dirt? Has he not showered? What's the problem with this kid? He's got a blanket, and he gets up on the stage, and he reads the Christmas story. It's actually found in Luke chapter 2. How many of you remember this? Okay. In the Christmas story that he reads, he says, that the angels appear to what? Does he say shepherd or shepherds? He says shepherds, right? Because there's a group of them. Okay, so Jesus is saying this shepherd leaves the 99 sheep with the other shepherds that he's tending flock with, and he goes in search of the one that's lost. Now, that's important. I'm going to come back to this next week. You can thank me later, but this is actually a probably a 75-minute sermon, but I cut it in half, okay? You can thank me later on that. But I want to talk to you more about that next week. So uh, I do want to say this. His search for the lost sheep does not compromise the 99 in any way. Okay, that's important. We'll come back to it next week. Jesus says, wouldn't a decent shepherd leave the 99 and search for the one? Because the lost sheep is in danger. You realize sheep... They can't really defend themselves. Sheep don't have claws. They don't have fangs. I doubt if it's any, any person has ever been to the ER on account of a sheep attack. You don't really see that. Signs that say, beware of sheep. You don't really see that, okay? They can't defend themselves. Easy prey. A lost sheep is a lamb chop waiting to happen, okay? And so the shepherd, if he's a decent shepherd, he's going to go in search of this sheep until he finds it. And that's what Jesus says. It's a relentless search. He's not going to give up. Doesn't matter how long it takes. Doesn't matter how far he's got to walk. He's going to go looking for that sheep and he's not going to quit until he finds it. Verse five. And when he finds the sheep, this is what Jesus says, he kicks the sheep. When he finds the sheep, he grabs it and he punches it. When he finds it, he cusses the sheep out. When he finds it, he says, you dumb sheep, look what a mess you got yourself into. You found your way here. You're going to have to walk your fluffy hind end back home because I'm not doing anything. Come on. Is that what he says? No. It says, when he found it, the shepherd, he stoops down, and sheep are not liked. You know, a grown sheep is 100 pounds. Way over 100 pounds. We're, so we're talking about a big sheep, okay? And so he stoops down, and they're smelly. If they've been wandering around for a while, nobody's been tending to them. And there's, there's slime and stuff all over them. And, and no, who, will, who knows what else? And so he stoops down, and he picks the sheep up, and he puts it on his shoulders, okay? And he walks back. He, he's not cussing. He's not angry. He's not spitting mad. Instead, what does it say about him? He joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He's singing, and he's smiling, and he's celebrating the whole way home. Verse 6, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, rejoice with me. That's key. Rejoice with me. 
because I have found my lost sheep. Now, here's the whole point of that story. Jesus is saying, can't you envision a shepherd like that? It's not hard to envision a shepherd doing that, right? And so Jesus says, if this is how a dirty, lying, cheating shepherd treats his lost sheep, why would you expect our perfect heavenly father to treat his lost children any less? And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, who their heart, I mean, their heart is really in the right place. They love the law, and they're trying to serve God. They're just misguided. And so Jesus says to them, don't grumble about me because I'm welcoming the sinners. Instead, rejoice with me that the lost sheep of Israel have come back home. See, this is the Father's heart. Verse 7, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Now, this is what we know. There are no people who don't need repentance. There are many self-righteous people who believe they don't need to repent. That was the Pharisees' problem. They thought because they were so good at keeping the law that God was obligated to bless them that God was obligated to welcome them into his kingdom. They thought that they could be good with God based on their own efforts. But the Bible says, Isaiah chapter 53, this is why you should bring your Bibles to church because it's not going to be on the screen. Turn there in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 53. I want you to see this with your own eyes. There are like three pages turning. That's good. Maybe you guys are screen people. That's okay. I wouldn't trust the screens too much. Because sometimes, you know, lightning can strike one Sunday. That could happen. Maybe your phone will all of a sudden just, like, stop working. That happens. iPhone's not perfect. Android, we know. Goodness gracious. Verse 6. We all, like what? Sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Is that true? Is it? I think all of us, at certain points in our life, we, we lose track of what's right. We, we lose track of the shepherd, and, and we, we kind of we meander. We get distracted. Amen? We get distracted, and we go from one green pasture to the next because we think this is where I'm going to find fulfillment. We forget we forget we got a shepherd. We forget we got one who loves us and is going to take care of us and going to provide and protect for us and going to guide us every step of the way. We forget that. And so we think, oh, I got to take it in my own hands. And so we get, we get distracted and we run after a girl or a guy or money or a career or a position or an image or this thing. We run after this thing and we think this is going to make us happy. And all the way, we're wandering away from the path. We're wandering away from the person that God created us to be, and we get off track. And, and we end up in a place that we never thought we would be because that's what sin does. It tempts us. It tempts us because it, it's, it's appetizing. It looks good. It looks so green. It looks so tasty. And if I just could have that, then I'll be satisfied. And you get to this place that sin is leading you, and it's cost you more than you ever imagined. And you think at that point, you think, well, how can I ever redeem myself after that? And so what do you do? 
You start hiding. Isn't that what Adam did? He chased this this forbidden fruit that he thought would give him what God can't give him. And once he tasted, he realized that he had made a huge mistake. But instead of coming back to God, he hid from him. And what did God do? He searched for him. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. The Lord has laid on him. Who is him? This was written hundreds of years before Christ was born. But if you read it, you realize this is about our crucified Savior. The Lord has laid on Jesus, the good shepherd, the iniquity of us all. You see, in the same way that the shepherd, he said the sheep made the mistake. The sheep wandered off. The shepherd didn't make a mistake. But the shepherd said, I'm going to take the burden of carrying this sheep back home. I'm going to place it on myself. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. The Bible says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has gone our own way. But the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, he didn't just leave the 99 in the open field. He left the throne room of heaven. And he put on skin and bones. And he came down here to earth in search of you. And he was relentless in his pursuit. It didn't matter how far you ran. Didn't matter how much you tried to hide. Christ lovingly, persistently pursued you. And when he found you, he didn't cuss you. He didn't kick you. He didn't punish you. What did he do? He stooped down. He got on your level. He met you right where you were. And he cleaned you off. And he healed your wounds. That's what Isaiah 53 says. By his stripes we are healed. And then he picked you up. Joyfully. And he carried you home. Because here's the thing about Jesus. Our good shepherd. He loves you enough to meet you right where you are. But he loves you too much to keep you there. And that's where so many of us, we we make the mistake to think that we can survive separated from his will and his way. We can't. It's dangerous out there. There's death out there. He's trying to save us from that. And so he picks us up and lovingly brings us back to where we belong. And to, to that, we all say yes and amen. Many of you in this room, you have personally experienced God's saving, redeeming power in your life. But here's the thing. In that moment, we need to realize two things. In that moment, the Bible says, Jesus says, heaven rejoiced. It rejoiced over your decision to surrender your will and way to the good shepherd. Heaven rejoiced over that. You rejoice over that. You're so grateful. The best thing that's ever happened to me is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so you say yes and amen. But here's the thing that you need to be reminded of today. That's not just true of you and people like you. It is also true of them. Who's them? The tax collectors and the sinners. 
God is pursuing the scumbags, the snakes in the grass, the worst of the worst, just as much as he pursued you. You see, heaven isn't a place for perfect people. Heaven is a place for repentant people. Heaven is a place for for lost sheep who say to the Father, I lost my way and I can't save myself. Please forgive me and carry me home. Heaven is a place for forgiven people. And so I'd encourage you, be reminded today that God's grace is greater than every sin and every sinner. He came to seek and save the lost. He is relentless in his pursuit of the wayward. And therefore, listen to me, there is absolutely no sinner beyond the redeeming power of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So don't be like the Pharisee. They thought that the acceptance of the sinner came at the cost of the righteous. They thought the problem with the world is all the sinners in it. And there's truth to that. There is truth that sin is the problem of the world. But our solution oftentimes is a lot different than God's solution to the problem. A lot of times we want to send the sinners off somewhere. And God says, no, I want to draw the sinners near to me. That's the difference. When we fail to see be reminded that we're all sinners. We fail to realize that we all need a Savior, and that's what happened with the Pharisees. And as a result, they failed to see Jesus for who he truly was. May we, this week, I want to encourage you, begin a party in heaven by being the hands and feet of Christ in search of the lost souls in your sphere of influence. Here's the truth of the matter. All of us know a wayward child of God. All of us do. You can be the hands and feet of Christ, doing all you can to help that lost sheep come back into the fold. And and this is what you can be sure of. That action brings joy to your Savior. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you delight in redeeming and restoring the lost. Jesus, thank you for being our good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Holy Spirit, draw all the wayward sheep under the sound of my voice back to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And this is an opportunity for any lost, wayward sheep to come back to the Good Shepherd. To the most wayward sheep in this place, do you realize that Jesus Christ takes pride in being your shepherd? That's why he relentlessly pursues the lost sheep. It's not that he needs another sheep. He's fine by himself. He's completely self-sufficient. But he loves you, and he loves the idea of being your shepherd. And so no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've wandered off, no matter what any Pharisee in your life may say about it, Jesus wants you in his flock. He wants to protect you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to guide you. Psalm 23, you've heard this before. The Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. Your shepherd's rod and your shepherd's staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your mercy and your love will follow me. It will chase me. It will pursue me no matter how far I wander off all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what my shepherd wants for each and every one of you. And so today's the day. You're not here by accident. This is a divine appointment. And God's saying to you, it's time to stop running. It's time to stop hiding. Stop putting off the best thing that will ever happen to you. In this moment, he is stooping down. He has come to meet you on your level. And he's got his arms open wide. He is ready to heal you. He's ready to cleanse you of all your sins. He's ready to be your shepherd. Will you let him? As we sing this song, I want to encourage you. Come and talk to me. Let me pray with you. Let me tell you about your next steps. As we sing, come. Come.